Uh, good, good to be with you, Hope Church. It's, it's fun being here with you and uh, being on this side of town, I guess. But uh, we're, we're starting off this new year with a, a series, Overcoming. Uh, and we're looking at, at a whole bunch of different things. Tonight, as we start the series, we're looking at the idea of overcoming religion. And I know that, that some of you might look at that title and, and, and have this thought or a similar thought run through your mind that, you know, isn't, isn't Hope Church a religious institution? Are, are, you, are you encouraging us to form a coup and, and take out the pastors? And, you know, th- this weekend both Matt and Nelson are gone, so your odds are good this weekend. So it might not be a bad idea. But, but no, um, that's not what we're talking about. Right, others of you might uh, be thinking that, that this title lends itself to the idea of, of, of needing to, you know, it's a play on words to try to distance us from some of the kind of the crazy religious people out there. We're trying to, and, and again, that's, that's not quite right either. Right, what we're really looking at today is, is something that's really kind of become trendy in, in Christianity today. Uh, it's one of those phrases, maybe you've heard it. Right? People will say, it's not a religion, it's a relationship. Right? And, and that phrase is, is just thrown out and people say it all the time. And, and, and because it's become trendy and people often just say it without really any context, uh, it, it, it tends to lose some of its value. Um, but before we just toss out that phrase and just um, pass it off as just another trendy thing to say, right? It's, it's kind of like the WWJD thing, right? I don't, I don't wear a bracelet anymore, but, you know, it was really popular for a while in Christian circles, and, and, and lots of people wore it just because it was popular. And yet, it, just because it's popular doesn't diminish the truth, right? That, that, that that's attitude is what a disciple would have, right? What would Jesus do? That's what disciples would say. I want to do things the way Jesus would do. And so, just like that, this, this phrase... There's, there's, there's some really good meat to it. And so today, what we're going to do is we're going to look at that. Religion versus relationship. And how do we overcome religion? So to begin, religion. Religion's a contract. Right? Religion is a contract. We, we make a deal with God. Right? And in, in essence, we both need to, to hold up our end of, of the bargain. We both need to hold up our end of the deal and, and do things. Right? And this, this contract can come in all forms. Right? Even, I, I would argue that even atheists make a deal with God. Right? And their deal is something along the lines of, you don't exist and please stay out of my way. Right? But, but they have, in their own mind, they, they've come up with a contract, some sort of deal that they've made with God. For a lot of people, the contract's more along the lines of, of God, I'm going to do my things and live my way, and I want, yeah, I'm going to try to follow some standard, right? But really, God, your job is in emergency, I need you, right? At the end of life, I'm going to need you to be there, right? I'm going to do some things. I'm going to, every once in a while, I'll be nice to people, and I'm going to try to live a good life. But at the end, I need you, or in the event of emergency, he's kind of like the paramedic, Right? Most of us go around our days not thinking about emergency personnel, but we know we've got 911 in case something bad happens, and we're going to do that, and people are magically going to show up to fix everything, right? And a lot of times, that's the, the contract that we have with God, right? I'm going to do things, I'm going to try to follow some rules, but really, you're just kind of on call, 
for when I need you. You're my support system. All right, and so I, I end up seeking God to give me stuff, help me out of stuff. Right, even if I don't necessarily always do a good job of holding up my end of the bargain, right? Because we're always kind of really loose on that side. Right? My end of the contract's really kind of fuzzy. There's some general guidelines, and as long as I generally stay in this area, I've held up my bargain, right? But I'm going to hold you to your end, God. Right? I expect some very specific things from you, and you better not let me down. The reality is when we think about religion, we can boil it all down to some form of legalism, right? Here's the rules. Follow the rules. And follow the rules well, or else. <laughs> and when we say it that way, religion sounds terrible, right? But we dress it up. We make it look a lot better. We make it sound nice. And, and, and reality is, is forms of religion like that, right, where it's, it's some sort of contract that we've made up, some sort of contract that we're kind of agreeing to um, they're, they're prevalent throughout the world today. They're, they're prevalent throughout churches across America, people living that way, right? I, I've got a general idea of what God says. I'm going to kind of do things His way-ish, right? With the understanding that when I need Him, God's going to back me up. When things go bad, He's going to fix things. When I'm out of money, He's going to make money show up, right? When, when life ends, he's going to be there to catch me. But that's not just true of churches today. It's been churches throughout, people throughout church history who've lived with that sort of contractual religion, right? I'm going to follow the rules and God owes me. And we even see it throughout the Bible. We see people living that way, functioning that way. And that contractual relationship, again, it typically looks to God to give us what we want and what we need to solve our problems. And our part is just to trust Him, right? Which just means that we're going to trust Him to show up when we need Him. And do things, right? Live to some sort of, of code of ethics or something like that, right? Some sort of list that I'm going to try to do my best to kind of follow. And we see this, I invite you to, to turn to page 216 in the chair Bible, and this is in 1 Samuel 4. We're going to start writing chapter 1. But this story is, is of the Israelites during uh, the, the judges. They don't have a king yet, and, and we talked as we went through the, the whole um, story in, in the falls. We looked at the heroes of faith. We looked at some of the judges, and there was... The Israelites weren't very well off during that time. They weren't doing a good job of following God. And this is one of those points where they're, they're in the midst of this conflict with the Philistines. And I want you to just listen to the story. And not so much the events of the story, but listen to the way that the Israelites think about their relationship with God in this. All right, so verse 1 says this, Now the Israelites went out to fight against the Philistines. The Israelites camped at Ebenezer and the Philistines at Aphek. The Philistines deployed their forces to meet Israel, and as the battle spread, Israel was defeated by the Philistines, who killed about 4,000 of them in the battlefield. 
When the soldiers returned to camp, the elders of Israel asked, Why did the Lord bring defeat on us today before the Philistines? Why did God let us get beat? Let us bring the ark of the Lord's covenant from Shiloh so that he may go with us and save us from the hand of our enemies. So the people sent men to Shiloh, and they brought back the ark of the covenant of the Lord Almighty, who was enthroned between the cherubim. And Eli's two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, were there with the ark of the covenant of God. When the ark of the Lord's covenant came into the camp, all Israel raised such a great shout that the ground shook. Hearing the uproar, the Philistines asked, What's all this shouting in the Hebrew camp? When they learned that the ark of the Lord had come into the camp, the Philistines were afraid. A god has come into the camp, they said. Oh no, nothing like this has happened before. We are doomed. Who will deliver us from the hand of these mighty gods? They are the gods who struck down the Egyptians, all the kinds of plagues in the wilderness. Be strong, Philistines. Be men, or you'll be subject to the Hebrews as they have been to you. Be men and fight. So the Philistines fought, and the Israelites were defeated, and every man fled to his tent. The slaughter was very great. Israel lost 30,000 foot soldiers. The ark of God was captured, and Eli's two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, died. So you notice that? Right? The Israelites expected God to, to show up on their terms. Right? They're in this battle and they just expected God that, oh no, we're in trouble. Well, I know, let's just bring the ark and, and then God's just going to do things. Right? It's almost God on command. Right? Their, their view of God, um, if, if we fast forward to today's terminology, it's, it's like God's their vending machine. Right? It's like, oh, we need a victory. Let's push the victory button and God's going to give us that. Right? Or, or along the lines of maybe, you know, it's like Aladdin's lamp, right? It's like, God, oh, we need a victory. Come beat these guys for us. Right? It was, God, save us on our terms now because you're our God and so do it. Right? And, and you notice the other side of the story, right? the side note, the Philistines, they, they clearly thought of God in a similar way. They, they were stuck in a religion too because they hear this cheering. They're like, oh no, we're doomed. Right? Gods are on their side. They're terrified because they thought God was going to show up. Right? Because the Israelites had this great God who did whatever they wanted and fixed him. And yet God didn't show up. You see, we all understand contracts, Right? We make deals all the time, written and unwritten, right? There, there's rules about, well, even right now, for, for some of you, where you're sitting in this room is kind of the expectation, right? We know where we go when we sit, right? This is, this is how we sit, right? When we go, when we're driving to church, this is the, the, the unwritten or written rules about how you drive, right? There's the written ones about like what the speed limit is, but then there's the unwritten one about how fast you actually go, Right? There's the written rules about, uh, you know, passing people and like on the highway, which lane you're supposed to be going if you're speeding or not, right? There's, there's those rules. We all know how to live within those rules, right? We go to the grocery store. There's tons of rules at the grocery store, right? They don't post them. Everybody just knows what to do, right? And if you go to a different grocery store that you've never been to, you, you realize that you don't know the rules, right? We have all sorts of, we, we understand that, right? It's how we navigate life. 
We understand contracts. We understand rules. And when people break the rules, we know that. Right? And, and this is just a natural part of our life, right? That we, we follow rules to our own degree, right? But we get it. It's part of our nature. And, and the fact that that's how we understand our relationship with God and we've reverted it to a contract is a, is a result of the fall. Ever since Adam and Eve sinned, by nature, we've been relating to God this way. And we can see it throughout history. Right? Adam and Eve, they did things. They, they tried to negotiate with God. Right? Well, here's, it wasn't that big of a deal. Right? Or it was somebody else's fault. It's, it's that. And you go on, Cain and Abel, right? Yeah, there's this, it's almost like a competition. Who had the better sacrifice? Well, I, I did what I was supposed to do. I, I had my sacrifice and I didn't. And, and yet it was about the heart. We see it with the Israelites and Aaron and the golden calf, right? We're just going to do things. We're going to kind of make things up. We're going we're to do things our own way. We're, as long as we're doing, you know, we're worshiping God, right? It's okay. We see the Israelites in this passage we just read in 1 Samuel, right? We're your people. So if we bring this ark in, you're going to save the day. You owe us. You should show up. All right, move into the New Testament, the Pharisees. They took the law of Moses and added to it. They become experts at following the law. They were so good at following the law that they had to add extra so they could show off how good they were at following the law. And again, throughout church history, we've had today, we've got tons of people, and Larry Osborne calls them accidental Pharisees. Right, people who are so good at following the rules of church. I'm good at doing these things. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to follow the rules. The Ten Commandments, I've got them. Right? I haven't broken those in a long time. Right? I'm really good. I show up at church all the time. I, I dress right. My family looks good. We do all the right things. But our heart's far from it. It becomes this building up my, my resume, my list of accomplishments. Right? And this is so natural for all of us. We do it so well. Right? Even, even our, our youngest, Theodore, just to show you how well we learned this from the beginning and by nature. He's, he's currently in a four-year-old preschool class a couple times a week. And I, just in, I think it was about a week or so ago, he started talking about school and was telling us how at school they do these little prayers. Right? And apparently at school, when the kids participate in the prayers, they get a sticker to put on their chart. It's a good thing, right? They're learning to pray at school. It's great. But here's the thing. Here's where, the, here's where things come off the rail a little bit for theater. As he's telling us this story, as soon as he says that when we get a sticker, we put it on our chart, he kind of gets in this little slide look and goes, <laughs> he's like, I have the most stickers. <laughs> little Pharisee, right? He's already getting this thing down. Like I'm, he's, he's doing all the right things, but what's his reasoning for it? It's not because I want to talk to God. I want to be with God. Right? It's like, I'm the best. Look at me. Look at my sticker chart. Right? The reality is, as we grow up, we just get a little bit more sophisticated and we're not pointing at sticker charts. Right? But we still do that, right? We still have this contractual religion that we slip into. Right? Where it's about following the rules. And am I following the rules better than others? 
Am I following the rules in a way that now I've got God on the line, right? He owes me. I've got God on the hook. So when something bad comes, I've, I've, got, I've got stickers on the chart, right? God's going to take care of me. You see, in religion, Jesus is simply a means to an end. I obey Him, I follow the rules, and bad things won't happen to me. Or we can flip that around and get the same thing. I obey Him and follow the rules, and good things will happen to me. But in the end, the the result of of religion is that we're self-dependent, We're stuck in a rut and we're disappointed with God because He doesn't show up on our terms and in the way that we want Him to. So let's contrast that with relationship. Relationship is based on a covenant or a promise. Think about it. We We don't bring a baby into our family and start negotiation there in the, in the hospital about what the, the, the contracts going to be, right? You can be a part of our family as long as or until this happens, right? No. They're part of our family. And there's a covenant that we make with them, right, that, that, that we give them our name and we bring them into our home and they're a part of us. And the same is true for healthy relationships, right? We commit to one another. We pledge our friendship to each other. Right? The, the friendships are based on an agreement, but not a contractual agreement. It's that, that we promise to one another. Right? But our relationship with God is even further than that. And uh, I want to look at, at Galatians chapter 4. And this can be found on page 944 of the Chair Bible. But in writing to the church in Galatia, Paul says this. He says, but when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons. God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. The spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you're no longer slave." but God's child. And since you are His child, God has made you also an heir. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those who by nature are not God's. But now that you know God, or are rather are known by God, how is it that you are turning back to those weak and miserable forces? Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? You're observing special days and months and seasons and years. Do you see that? We're not God's minions, right? Set out to do His bidding. Or we're not people seeking to appease God or some force. We are adopted as children. We're in relationship with God. And since we're a family, and did you catch that phrase? Since we are known by God. How could we revert back to trying to follow some set of rules or meet some standard or build up some resume? 
You see, following Christ is not about some behavior modification. Right? We're not trying to earn God's favor. The gospel turns it all around. We can't earn his favor. Jeremiah 31, verses 31 and 33 says this, The day will come, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and Judah. But this is the new covenant I will make with the people of Israel on that day, says the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. God changes our hearts. Religion is about following some set of rules or trying to appease God. And it's all about our actions. But relationship, covenant is based on our heart. That God changes us from the inside. And that he adopts us as his children, right? Again, the gospel, it's not that we're trying to earn God's favor. The gospel flips that around that we can't earn his favor. When we were out of favor with God, right? When we were enemies with God, He pursued us. And He made us His children. He made a covenant with us based on who He is and what He has done. So when we understand relationship, we have to understand that it's based on grace. It's based on God's incredible love for us. You see, we get into a right relationship with God and we stop using Him, right, to, to get what we want. And, and the goal is that we become, be with God. That we enjoy being with Him. And as we're with Him, then we're motivated to obey. Right, it's not about behavior modifications. Look how good I'm doing, right? And that I hope to earn God's favor. It's the flip of that. God loves me. God desires to be with me. And as I understand His love for me, it changes the way I do things. It changes who I am. It's based on the cross. We couldn't earn God's favor. We can't ever earn God's favor. But He's rescued us. Why? Not to accomplish some task for Him. Not to complete some mission for Him. Right? It's not, God doesn't need us to do His bidding. Right? He's God. He's not dependent on us to accomplish something. God rescued us so that we could be with Him. In relationship with Him. You see, the big idea is we understand the difference between religion and relationship is that Jesus is not a means to an end. And that's what religion turns it into, right? Jesus is a means to the end. But as we understand relationship is that Jesus is everything. We're not trying to use Jesus and understand, you know, we're not trying to do things so that someday we can get to heaven and, and everything will be perfect, right? And our life turns out great. Our, our goal is to be with Him. It's not to get to heaven. 
But it's understanding that in heaven we will see him and we will be with him for eternity. Jesus is the prize. So how do you know if you're stuck in religion mode? How How do we know? Because the reality is if we're honest with ourselves, we often find ourselves there. It's easy to revert back into it because it's our, our, our natural state, right? We think of Theodore, right? I've been there for a long time, and it's easy for me to revert back into that mode. So how do you know if you're stuck? First off, are you doing things? Are you doing rituals with no heart? Are you just doing all the right things because you're supposed to? But your heart's not in it. Are you just going through the motions? That might be a clue that you're stuck in religion mode. Secondly, is there a huge contrast between the mask that you wear and your life? Is there a big difference between the way that you show up in church and smile and talk to people and the way you are every other moment of your life or when the door closes? There's a huge contrast between those two that maybe you're stuck in religion mode. What about this one? I get angry if my life doesn't go well and I don't get what I want because he owes me. If you find yourself saying something like that, maybe you're stuck in religion mode. Because your expectation is that I'm getting something, God's gonna, God owes me because I'm following the rules. What about this one? I want God for what I can get, not to be with Him. And that one sounds really bad, especially when we think of the, the ideas, well, maybe, well, if I do all these things right, then God's going to give me things right. It's not about like, well, I'm going to trust God and I'm going to become a millionaire. I've, you know, we, we don't necessarily do that. Maybe some people do. But maybe it's a little bit more subtle, Right? Maybe we just use God so that we can avoid hell. Or maybe it's that lifeline mentality. Listen to this uh, quote as we close here from John Piper. And I love the way he says this. Christ did not die to forgive sinners who go on treasuring anything above seeing and savoring God. And people who would be happy in heaven if Christ were not there, will not be there. The gospel is not a way to get people into heaven. It's a way to get people to God. It's a way of overcoming every obstacle to everlasting joy in God. If we don't want God above all things, we have not been converted by the gospel. We were made to be with God. God made us for a relationship with Himself. And as we understand the gospel, we understand that sin separates us from God. And the gospel is that Jesus came to erase that gap, to erase our debt, to rescue us. Not so that we could get to heaven and not so that our lives can be happy and perfect and fairy tale, but so that we can be with Him. So let me close with this question for you. 
Are you clinging to a flimsy hope that in the end you will have done enough? Or have you met and fallen in love with the one who has redeemed your life? That's the difference between religion and relationship. That we understand and know God. Would you stand with me as we pray? Father, we thank you for the gospel. We thank you that in spite of our sin, you have sought us. And you have established a covenant with us through your blood. That in the midst of our rebellion, you went to the cross. And you purchased our lives. Jesus, may we come to know you. May we fall more and more in love with you. May we be people who understand the gospel and are transformed by the gospel. And that we grow in a relationship with you forever. We ask this in your name. Amen.